You're listening to another episode of The Zag. Erica Soap here, excited to launch a new kind of approach to some of our guests. We're branching out a little bit in the NLC community, talking with Oren Jacobson today, who's in the middle of the country in Chicago. Hear from him about what's going on there and some of his NLC experiences and some of the things he's working on. Let's get to it. All right, Oren, being in LA, we always like to talk junk to people who are not in LA in the winter. How bad is it in Chicago these days? Uh, well, I'm looking out the window and there's at least uh, three inches of snow on the ground. It hasn't seen seven <laughs> in a couple of days. And uh, Actually, let's do an exact weather check right now. I'm going to hop on the iPhone and tell me, see what the phone says. It uh, Oh, it's 36 right now. So as far as I'm concerned, it's a great day because <laughs> I mean, the, walk, the walk to the gym when this is all done won't be miserable. I like it. Are you from Chicago originally or somewhere else? I grew up uh, in the north shore of Chicago, a suburb called Northbrook. People from Chicago would never allow me to actually claim to be from Chicago, but for the sake of the podcast, I grew up here, yeah. <laughs> and then your fellow year was what for NLC Chicago? Yeah, it was uh, in NLC Chicago in 2014. And did a friend tell you about it? How did you end up hearing about it in the first place? Um, so interesting story. I actually, um, after undergrad, I moved around a bunch with a Fortune 150 uh, home builder. And, uh, after I think it was in the fourth city and third state in about a decade, uh, started thinking about coming home. And my dad set up a meeting with me with one of his fraternity brothers. Meanwhile, my dad turned 75 and in, in about six months. So just to say how, tell you how old the guy was, uh, he set up a meeting with one of his fraternity brothers and uh, we had this conversation and, the, and that guy ends up sending me an invitation to the 2013 fellows fundraiser hmm. in Chicago. So I drove in from uh, Indianapolis at the time uh, for that fundraiser, met uh, a guy named Pete Kalenic who started the chapter here uh, and a few other folks, Ben Head, who's now Congresswoman Jan Schakowsky's political director. Uh, Sarah Beth Hoffman, who came through the 2014 class with me and just stayed in touch with everybody. And, um, you know, I was a private sector guy coming into this thing who's just passionate and wanted to get involved. And the thing that really appealed to me about NLC, unlike most other political uh, opportunities, as you know, was that this was an organization that was actually designed to develop you and to provide you with skill sets and uh, not just send you knocking door to doors. Not that there's anything wrong with knocking door to doors, but, you know, going to a campaign doesn't exactly. Uh, get you developed. Uh, and yeah. I didn't know anything really about the civic and political space and really wanted to move in that direction. And so it was the, you know, the perfect random confluence of things to the point where I got my job back in Chicago. Um, I started on September, like right after Labor Day of 2013, which gave me 45 days or 60 days to apply to NLC and was fortunate enough to get in. Nice. And one of the things I appreciate about you is after the fellowship, you've stayed involved with the local Chicago chapter, but also done a lot with, with National, and you've helped a lot with uh, fundraising and really, I think, in, improving how we approach fundraising. What was your mo motivation to stay involved like that? And then what do you feel like led you to, to kind of get us into this place where we're approaching fundraising as a year-round experience and, and the language and the framing that we're using for fundraising? Yeah. So, uh, you know, at, so I spent, uh, 2014 as a fellow 2015 on the local board. And over that summer, I think you remember the organization decided to expand sort of its volunteer mm -hmm. national leadership core. And one of the roles that they were looking for was someone to help on the financial side of it. And at the time, if you remember, I think we had about 40 chapters at that point, And, um, 
I think about six of us were actually like formally putting together a budget or a cash flow projection. And I remember having this conversation with staff being like, how in the heck do you run this organization blind? I thought about working for a fortune, uh, you know, for, for the company that I work for that had something like 45 divisions across the country and imagining how you could operate such a big organization uh, not having any insight into what anybody was planning to spend or what revenue was coming in. Um, and so really the first step for me was like, let's just set up some processes that uh, will one, both help our local leadership teams develop an important skill set, right? Most of us don't necessarily have you know, business backgrounds where a lot of right. civic aren't necessarily business people and so um you know it's important to be able to understand how to budget what a pnl looks like uh what how to manage cash flow and project cash flow and so that was really step one was just let's put in some processes so that we can identify what gaps we have uh that helped us to understand the fact that we um you know we had cash flow gaps in the organization where because of <clears throat> sort of when the bulk of our fundraising was happening at the local level, right through our annual chapter fundraisers, uh, that there were moments in time where the organization's cash flow was just way too tight. Um, and that sort of led to the next piece was uh, how do we develop uh, a more robust, consistent fundraising approach? Um, and then kind of the last piece to that was, you know, one of the things that I found, I'm sure that you have as well, is like we've got a lot of brilliant people inside of NLC. Um, they're talented, they're capable, but what they don't necessarily have is a lot of time. And, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, uh, knowing that our people don't have a lot of time and knowing that everything that you ask them to do um, is just one more thing on the plate of a volunteer um, I was really committed to developing the tools and resources necessary for people to do it. So, um, you know, I, I just said, let's, let's create, let's everything that we think we need to do to develop a chapter to fundraise. Like let's have a template, a tool, a training, a deck, uh, scripts, email templates, everything set up so that, um, the only sort of barrier to execution was clicking a couple buttons pulling a template and sending something or doing something. And so that was really, uh, you know, the evolution of all of it. I think by and large, most of us, you know, yourself included, who have stayed involved, uh, recognize that NLC uh, is filled with wonderful people doing amazing work. In the aftermath of 2016, uh, that work feels incredibly urgent uh, and necessary. And so for me, it's just always been about what skill set I have to bring to bear and how can I create more capacity that makes makes us collectively better, uh, knowing that, you know, to a large degree, the, the future, especially for the progressive movement, will be determined by not just how Chicago does or how LA does, but how we sort of scale out those successful ideas in the other places. And then one of the things I appreciate is the, the deck that you made, and I appreciate it because I ran it for the fellows on Sunday as we kind of got deeper into the chapter fundraiser idea. And I'm still always amazed at the the reaction that people get with the, the slide that you have uh, showing the disparity between amount of money raised from the conservative movement versus the amount of money raised in the progressive movement. When conceivably could you see that gap being being closed entirely or at least not look so scary on a PowerPoint slide? <laughs> um, it's going to be a while before that thing looks less scary, right? They've got, they got something like 160,000 person uh, gap in terms of people trained, right? So they're, they're mm -hmm. 30 up on us in terms of people, you know, in terms of funding, uh, which I think is the, the more to, more in line with the question that you asked, you know, honestly, like 
my gut take one year later on this whole thing is that I don't think the I don't think the left has gotten it. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think that we have seen um, the you know like to take one step back like and not everything is the Koch brothers are are you know enemies of the state, but like those types of folks. The Koch brothers in particular and, and wealthy Republican conservative donors, they put money into this thing. They understand the long-term investment, right? Again, it's the business mindset. Um, and we just don't have – we don't have that same mentality on the left for whatever reason. And um, you know, I know Mark and Matt and Court and the rest of the board are trying to push through that. But we've still got a lot of work to do on that end. Um and, and I think it's it's not happening fast enough, right? There's no logical reason in my mind that you're in California. There's a pretty famous guy there who's spending lots of money on impeachment uh, named Tom Steyer. Uh, as much as I want to impeach the president, as much as I think the president's a danger to America, uh, you know, Tom has put in $30, $40 million or $20 million into the impeachment ads. He's put in another $30 million into the congressional race. And like, we need people to do that type of stuff. Um, if Tom Steyer decided to take that $20 million or another $20 million and put it towards pipeline development, he would change the future of this country a heck of a lot faster. Yeah. And putting thirty million dollars into trying to win congressional elections. Not that we—I mean, we need to win those congressional elections. It shouldn't be an either-or thing. We need the Tom Sires of the world um, to think about that. In the absence of it, and this is what you and I have been talking about when we talk about with the uh, with the team. And I think really, like our movement doesn't want. It's not that we wouldn't take. You know, don't want Tom Steyer to invest in us. Progressives at large don't want to be beholden to power structures the same way that everything is today. So uh, the last thing I said to the chapter directors when we finished up our meeting in July in Pittsburgh was, you know, if we want to build a movement independent of existing traditional power structures, then we have to build a movement independent of existing power structures, which ultimately means that at the grassroots, we need to bring people in um, and help them understand why their investment into us can be so powerful, both in the short and long term. And I, and I truly genuinely believe that for whatever flaws NLC has, it, it has the best collective group of 5,000 bright, young, talented, progressive leaders of today and tomorrow in it and will continue to. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, listen, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about what's going on in Chicago and some of the other work that, that Orrin's uh, tackling. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Zag. All right. I want to ask a couple of quick questions about Chicago. What do you feel like is the biggest persistent myth about Chicago that really bothers you? Ooh. We'll start with a non-bothering okay. one. The <laughs> um, Windy City. It's not called the Windy City because of wind. It's called the Windy City because of politics. Hmm. Um, and the blowhard politicians that made it famous in the early part of the last century. Uh, but it also is windy. That doesn't bother me. <laughs> a thing. Um, you know, I think you can't, you can't, you can't exist in Chicago in Trump's America without getting annoyed by the commentary about violence. That's not to say there's not a lot of violence, but if you look at like per capita violence, uh, Chicago is nowhere near the, you know, nowhere near the top five, uh, cities in America in terms of that. So I think the way in which the president has sort of 
you know, said Chicago's worse than, worse than Afghanistan and stuff like that. And then whenever I do travel for work, which is a lot, and by the way, I travel to a lot of red areas, their impression of the safety of Chicago, um, you know, that's, that's an annoying thing. And then how would you describe the current state of the governor's race? It's been a pretty crazy last 10 days, right? What's going to happen there? Yeah, you know, it's 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 gotten really interesting. Honestly, 10 days ago, I thought this thing was a foregone conclusion. Uh, Pritzker, J.B. Pritzker was uh, up, you know, about 20 points over the over the next nearest competitor. So the top three, it's J.B. Pritzker, um, sort of like the famous Pritzker family. Uh, if you've been paying attention to democratic politics, the Pritzkers were involved with the Obamas. Uh, Chris Kennedy, who is the son and uh, son of Robert Kennedy, RFK, and nephew to JFK. And then a, uh, a, a state senator named Daniel Biss. Uh, who's one of many fun nicknames is the skinny math man because he's an MIT and Harvard educated math. <laughs> there you go. Um, I once asked Daniel Biss to explain to me his doctoral thesis, thinking, okay, I've got a master's in economics. I understand <laughs> calculus. I can get this. And you know how, like, when you ride a bull, like, if you're on the bull for nine seconds, you're like, oh, yeah. Bull, bull, you're in good shape. Yeah. I, I couldn't follow him for more than. Oh, no. Okay. Um, so anyway, so last, you know, there have been some tapes that came out. I don't know if everybody remembers Governor Rod Blagojevich, who's now in prison for trying to sell uh, Obama's Senate seat when Obama got elected. And there have been some tapes that have been released with Pritzker having conversations that uh, the first one makes it seem as if he's like potentially being, you know, handed or uh, a, a seat. Uh, and the most recent one has some incredibly problematic language uh, directed towards African-American uh, directed towards African-American elected officials. And, you know, it's at the very, at the very worst, it's, it's, it's outright racism. And at the very best, it's um, an, an example of two white, powerful men speaking about race and speaking about uh, distributing power in a way that is sort of anathema to the way that we that we think of um, how we should be building movements moving forward. Right? It's not this inclusive conversation about elevating diverse leaders. It is very much. Uh, I think at one point he says Jesse White, who's the Secretary of State here and pretty well beloved, is the least offensive of the African American people being considered. And so. Um, with that, plus uh, State Senator Daniel Biss has launched a really good ad campaign in the last few weeks, dubbing himself the middle class governor, mm. uh, which I think had a lot of traction. We're talking about a guy who lives in a little bungalow uh, and makes $75,000 a year, which is, you know, compared to Pritzker and Kennedy is a lot of money compared to a lot of people, a lot of money. Um, and so he's starting to break through a little bit. So we're the most recent polls have Pritzker up, but this closing and Kennedy, you know, still within striking distance. So it's going to be an interesting 45 days. Uh, it's certainly anyone's race. Um, you know, the most progressive candidate is the state Senator Daniel Biss. He's, uh, on $15 minimum wage, free college tuition, uh, universal healthcare, um, legalizing cannabis. He's got a great little video that's flown around on now this, uh, and he's got this, the front of the sign says legalize and the la his last name is B I S S bis. So he respells cannabis with his name, which was pretty cute. <laughs> Crafty. I like it. Uh, let, last thing, tell me a little bit about the men for work, uh, project or program. I don't know how you'd best describe it, but some of the work you're doing there. 
Men for Choice, you mean? Men for Choice, sorry. Yeah, I'm just thinking what the work of Men for Choice is okay. what I'm trying to say there. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Men for Choice actually is a project uh, launched a little bit more than three years ago. It's a state pack uh, in Illinois, and uh, we have a very simple mission. It's four words, so we can't screw it up. It's support women, educate men, and our our goal is to create an entry point for men to get engaged, educated, and activated as partners into the fight to expand and protect reproductive freedom. Um Ironically, I actually, the organization got started on the back of somebody else's NLC capstone project. I was sitting oh, in a wow. room for a, a capstone in uh, 2015 and was sort of just struck by um, this feeling that I, you know, I think a lot of guys just assume that, hey, Roe v. Wade is a thing. We're good. Move along. We haven't really taken ownership of these issues. We've treated uh, women's reproductive rights broadly as her issue. Um, and it was clear to me that um, if someone like me didn't have any clue of what was going on in this fight, then the average guy out there certainly didn't. So, um, I started talking with friends, most of them in the political space about sort of those issues and the need to get more men involved. And we, we launched, uh, we launched the organization. It's been a really interesting learning curve as far as, you know, how to be an effective partner and ally. And we've certainly screwed stuff up along the way. Um, you know, but we're we're um, really dedicated to to the work. And um, last year, Illinois passed the most progressive piece of pro-choice legislation anywhere in the country. It became the first state ever to pass legislation that it, that's that took down the Hyde Amendment inside of the state and mm. expanded access to to abortive services for uh, low-income women and sort of eliminated that wealth gap in terms of access to full reproductive health care, which is a really really important equity building. Uh, measure and certainly men for choice wasn't you know we're not the reason why it happened we're not the you know the white knights riding in to save the day but um, we were able to play an important partnership role in that helped organize seventy five thousand calls um during the a key stretch of uh the the the, the bill being considered um talked to more than twelve thousand voters knocked on thousands of doors over 12 days of action had about 250 people volunteer with us uh did did 10 sort of what we called call bullshit trainings across the state, including six on college campuses, talking to men about how and why they need to engage. And as we move into 2018, uh, you know, we're expanding things a little bit in terms of messaging uh, and our focus to really uh, move straight from reproductive rights sort of into this broader mis- misogyny misogynistic range, right? Talking about the Me Too movement and uh, the man's role or male's role in uh, combating misogyny at large and understanding that there is a direct connection between uh, misogyny in the first place and this idea that we should even be have a say in legislating what a woman can and can't do with her body. So uh, it's been really meaningful work. It's really important to me. It's important to us. And you know, I feel I feel fortunate that we've got really good people around us guiding us. We've got a, uh, our director of strategy now is a woman who's taken on a national leadership role with the Women's March, and so she's really helping uh, helping guide us to make sure that as we're bringing in more men to the work, that we're not just uh, you know duplicating um, some of the problems that are sort of out there. Right? Like, I'm sure you've seen mm-hmm. some of the stuff online that criticizes men when we refer to our 
you know, doing something because our daughter, or our sister, or our mother, and we don't want to criticize them <laughs> to do that, right? Like it's good, it's good to be pro-choice for whatever reason. It's good to fight misogyny for whatever reason, but we're also working hard to try and help some help men understand that it doesn't matter that she's someone's daughter. It doesn't matter that she's someone's sister. It doesn't matter that she's someone's mother or spouse. It should just matter that she's someone, and that should ultimately be enough. Uh, for us to to step into the space and, and own some roles, so as we go into 2018, it's sort of talking about that more and more, uh, and then looking to, uh, in particular, we're going to be running educational forums in Illinois in targeted races at the state level, so in districts where there are swingable seats to try and expand the pro-choice majority here uh, and protect what we've gained and. Um, you know, through that process, we can educate people and then turn them into to volunteers with us to to go support these local you know local races. There's not you know state reps and state senators don't exactly get a ton of attention, uh, but as as you know across the country, right? That's a lot of the major legislation right now is happening at the state level. So it's a right. important model to build out, and um, yeah, it's been it's been a, a definitely a, a passion project for the last few years and excited to see what we can do with it next nice well excited to hear more about it excited that you were on the show today thanks for all the work you're doing for nlc and beyond and remember there are warmer places if you ever get a little frustrated love to have you out in la come by anytime uh can i give a quick plug to the website so people can go oh do it yeah yes Let's if do you want to if you want to sign up uh, and follow us uh, men, the number four choice.org men for choice.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, uh, at men, the number four choice. Um, would love to, would love to have you. We send out pretty regular newsy information on, on Facebook, uh, are starting a biweekly news update. Um, especially for the men out there who are listening, if nothing else, go to the website, men for choice.org, sign up to get our newsletters, uh, and make sure that you stay updated. You will no doubt um, be amazed at how much bullshit is out there on this issue and how crazy, like absolutely crazy, the types of laws that people are trying to pass uh, across this country. And so we, we need you, the movement needs you, and especially you know, in a time where so many of our cultural sins are being brought to the surface. Um, Right, like it's no longer okay for us to sort of bury our heads in the sands, and um, uh, we we need everybody to step up and be involved in the process of sort of deconstructing that that culture that says this is okay. So, menforchoice.org and menforchoice on Facebook. I love it. Thanks, sir, and thanks for everyone for listening to this episode of the Zag. You can download all past episodes, and we got a lot—about thirty-two now—in the iTunes Store, in Google Play, on SoundCloud. You can find us everywhere. If there's anyone listening who is an NLC alum outside of LA, we'd love to have you on as well. Hit us up on our Facebook page. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll have more episodes coming soon. Take care.